Welcome to episode 155 of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Beth Bilow, and I am grateful that you have joined me. Thank you so much for sharing this time with me and my guest. Introverts tend to be, as a group, reluctant to talk about ourselves. We'd much rather shine the light on others, and sometimes we need a bit of coaxing to open up. And if someone takes the time to ask us questions and help us to feel safe, we have just as many stories as the more naturally talkative among us. I know when I was a kid, I had tons of stories, from verbose tales about my adventures of the day, riding my bike in the neighborhood or or walking with my friends, um, to my writings about imaginary twins who lived on a farm, and even dabbling a little bit in sort of abstract poetry. Um, My maiden name is Mount. And when I got my first library card in fourth grade, it showed my last name as Mouth instead of Mount. My mom looked at that and she laughed and said, how did they know? (laughs) So you could say that at least for a period of my life, I was quite the talker. But somewhere along the way, I decided that my stories weren't that interesting. I think that happens to a lot of us, and that's too bad, because our adult lives are just as fascinating, even if they are sometimes feeling to be weighed down with responsibility or routine. We still have a lot to share with one another, and sometimes we need some help figuring out what stories to share and how to share them. And that's the focus of my conversation with this episode's guest, Esther Choi. Esther is the president of the Leadership Story Lab, a training and consulting firm dedicated to teaching classical storytelling to modern leaders. Since 2010, she has coached hundreds of executives at U.S. Fortune 500 companies, including Allstate, BP, SC Johnson, U.S. Cellular, and others, helping them motivate their teams and customers through storytelling. To date, her investment firm clients have raised over $5 billion in new assets under management. She also lectures at Kellogg School of Management's executive education programs. Choi's first book, Let the Story Do the Work, is published by AMACOM Books and is now available wherever books are sold. You'll find links to Esther's book and website in the episode show notes at theintrovertentrepreneur.com. Hi, Esther. Welcome to the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm excited to talk with you about leadership and storytelling today. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to uh, be on your podcast. Well, what is making you smile today? That is a great question. In fact, when I saw that question itself, it made me smile. Oh, good. (laughs) Today in particular, I smiled this morning when I heard my two daughters. I have an eight-year-old and a Mm. Um, five-year-old. My older one, Alina, is off the chart extrovert. Mm -hmm. And my younger one, uh, Melia, is a very classic introvert like me mm-hmm. and my husband. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, I bet that's a, it adds a bit of unpredictability to <laughs> what, you know, what is the day going to bring? Exactly. When you've got um, that wonderful mixture of, of energies. Well, you have shared that you um, feel like you fall on that introvert side of the introvert-extrovert spectrum. So how has that awareness, and I've already heard, I think, hints of that in, in what you've shared so far, but how has that awareness influenced you as an entrepreneur and on your professional journey? 
Well, I would consider myself a well-adjusted introvert. Um, one thing that I'm quite aware that as an entrepreneur,、mm-hmm. you do need to get out there and talk to people, tell people about yourself and what you do, and that kind of thing. But I'm aware of managing my own personal energy. The good thing is that I have a great deal of control over my schedule. For example, March it was extremely busy. I had a lot of teaching and speaking responsibility. My number one priority, right after a really busy schedule,、mm-hmm. is to block off time. Not only because I needed it to catch up with other things, but I needed time to just. Be alone and by myself. Well, you you recently wrote, and then this is how we connected. You wrote a blog post about introverts as inspiring storytellers,、mm-hmm. and I'm going to include a note to that uh, post um, in the show notes. And as an introvert yourself,、um, what techniques have you used to mine your own life for stories that、um, support your messaging and your style and your your mission? Well. I guess one of the few things that most introverts I know do really well is observation,、um, and that's definitely something that I've tried to incorporate. It. I've noticed that my、mm-hmm. younger daughter, the introverted one,、um, she's great with observation, and that means investigating how. The stories that you hear and you hear other people tell, and even your own stories, observe how that make you feel, and observe how stories make other people feel. Because one of the things that, in business at least, people tend to shy away from emotion as if it's a dirty word,、mm-hmm. and of course, if misused or abused, it can lead to bad outcome. But In business, where the norm is to be objective, be analytical, oftentimes quantitative, people forget that emotion is what led to actual decision making. And so, in trying to figure out what stories do I use,、um, I think as introvert, we have almost an inborn skill is that observation. I've had a、uh, feedback a couple of years ago from a very large workshop. It's over 200 people, and you know, of course, I would prefer the size to be much smaller because that gives me more opportunities to work with people one-on-one. But I can't always expect that.、Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes when you hear good stories, you get inspired. But what you can learn from a boring story. Or a story really badly told can help you become better storytellers because if you observe how did you feel when you heard a boring story and what is it that this person that he or she have done、mm-hmm. that make the story so boring, <laughs> right? And then think about how can you avoid that? Maybe you've done that yourself. And so, this ability to observe, being an introvert, it's really powerful. Yeah.
I'm, I'm taking part in this um, creative nonfiction boot camp right now. Oh, wonderful. And so part of that is about, you know, mining your own stories. And one of the reasons I did it is because I have that fear of boring stories and wanting to be able to, you know, tell a more interesting story. And so I appreciate, you know, I appreciate you. You've kind of turned something on its head. Like, we'll say, if you want to learn to be a good storyteller, listen to people tell good stories. And that's, you know, that's absolutely valuable. But I I love that you're also reminding us you can learn just as much from the bad stories, <laughs> the stories to- poorly told. And and I, th- when I read a story or I hear a story that that doesn't quite feel like it hits its mark, mm. where I learn is from what questions come up in my mind. So it might be, well, I didn't have enough context. I needed, um, you know, more information about where you were when this happened or what did this person look like or how did you feel when that happened? Um, Because somebody might be telling a a story, but it's very much, um, you know, on the surface. And and so as I listen, um, I think about, like, what questions come up in my mind and then when I'm crafting my own story, how can I pay attention to how I'm telling it so that I can sort of anticipate maybe or learn from the the gaps that I experienced in other people's stories and I can sort of preemptively fill those in? Yeah, yeah, exactly. One of the things that, at least in a business context, a lot of people struggle with, whether they're listening to a story or seeing a presentation, is the question of so what? Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Yep. Why should I care? What do you want me to do about it? And why am I even in this meeting yep. in the first place? You know, people won't verbalize these questions inside, but a lot of people are. They forget that their audience really are not in the same place. Without that ability to observe, they can get carried away telling their stories that they don't realize that their potential donors are asking, well, so what? Yes. <laughs> I'm having a flashback um, <laughs> because because um, I've worked in fundraising before and, and know about the way you can get kind of even seduced into telling the numbers, telling the facts and figures as a way to kind of justify um, the the ask and and I'm remembering this was after I was out of fundraising but still in nonprofit work and I was at a rotary meeting and there was a, a person from a nonprofit um, a social service agency I think it might have been it wasn't the Boys and Girls Club but it was that sort of organization and in the 20 minutes that this um, executive had in front of the Rotary Club. I don't think I heard a single story. Mm. It was all statistics. Uh. It was sort of facts and figures and, uh, you know, here's our mission and, and all of this. And and I remember throughout just waiting and thinking, okay, when's he going to tell a story of little Joey <laughs> who, you know, came from this circumstance mm-hmm. or was struggling in school and now is doing fantastically or, you know, those, I thought that that organization has got to be overrun with stories. Mm-hmm. And, and even if you, you can't use um, identifying characteristics, for instance, or something, maybe there's sensitive information, you could still find a way to tell a story that, that connects. And so it's like, I remember that presentation, not because of the stories, but because of the lack of stories, which isn't, probably what that person would want me to have taken away from it. <laughs> ah, yes, yes. And and I've heard the opposite too, which was mm-hmm. early on in my career when I 
was asked those questions a lot, um, various form, but the gist of it was I've had my fair share of listening to countless presentations, countless numbers. I don't remember any of them, but I remember these random stories. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't even remember when and where I heard these stories from, but I remember them. You even... Yeah. Detach it from the context of where story comes from, yet it stays with you for years. Yeah, yeah. Like your memory of this、um, meeting at the Rotary Club.、Mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> That in itself is a story, isn't it? <laughs> it tells you something. So, <laughs> but you know, so so,、um, and this is part of what I'm, you know, learning through my、um, that nonfiction boot camp. But you know, how do we spot good stories that are worth developing and sharing?、Um, I, you know, I ask、mm-hmm. this part. Because interesting stories aren't always obvious to us. You know, we're we're living our lives. We think it's normal that you know we have this kind of job or know this kind of people or have these certain hobbies. You know, it's like the fish don't know they're swimming in water, sort of phenomenon. That that that's oh, that's really curious, right? But yeah, but we also live in this tell all society. You know, social media that doesn't always model good boundaries when it comes to disclosure and stories. So sometimes it's really hard to know like what's appropriate and.、Um, What it what would be interesting to other people、um, besides knowing that it's not I had oatmeal for breakfast this morning and put pecans instead of walnuts on it, <laughs> but you know so how do we spot those good stories that are worth spending time with? That is a million dollar question. I think I'm beginning to figure out the answers.、Um, so <laughs> oh, please share. <laughs> Uh, there are some general rule of thumbs that I found very, very helpful. One of them is you don't have to be a superhero to tell great stories.、Mm-hmm. So I have done this large-scale workshop at my alma mater at the reunion, and because of the topic, it's, it's quite popular and it's very timely because what's reunion but nonstop storytelling. I like to begin because I require them to, in order to fully register for my session, they、right. have to write a synopsis of a story that they plan to tell at reunion. And so sometimes there are really sort of quote unquote superhero type stories, like somebody started a company that went public and you know made everybody a lot of money because it's a business school.、Uh, that there tend to be those stories. Um, but then there are other stories, like this one synopsis of an alum who was going through major life transition, all happy,、uh, but she was moving.、Mm-hmm. And then the story that she planned to tell was this time when she was moving her family, young family, across the country, and she had to board a plane. With a toddler about two years old, twin babies, and two cats. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so not what we think of as you know. Oh my gosh, she's gonna be you know the next billionaire from Silicon Valley. But whenever I spotlight that synopsis in the beginning of my workshop, that one get a bigger reaction. From people than the person with the company who went public. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a really important thing to keep in mind:、yeah. is that sure, if you have something out of this world, amazing accomplishment, that helps. But that's not the only reason a story is good. 
And so the sort of boarding uh, of playing with two cats, twin babies, and one toddler gets to is the idea of if your story taps into some sort of shared human experience, whether it's heroic or not, then people tend to find that compelling and relatable and captivating and, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. In my book that's coming in uh, in July, um, I have a chapter on Tell Me About Yourself, which is the questions that get asked a lot. But from my experience, nobody seemed to be really comfortable with it or figured out, oh, I know exactly how to say it. And every time people can't get enough of it, I've never heard of it. Mm-hmm. I've only heard, yeah, how do you tell, <laughs> answer that question? And so I have some examples that basically have sort of told a line between a really superhero type uh, story, but it's oftentimes, you know, the, I remember there's this one executive who was in his, I think, 50s when he had to look for a job. And so he was very motivated to craft a a good response to that question. And then his response that we worked on together was really about how over his career, he's gotten opportunities, like by starting his own lawn mowing company when he was still in high school, but that it's also about seizing up on opportunities when they present themselves. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he wasn't the millionaire investor that we hear so much about, um, but that share experience of, you know, which is number two, that I always encourage people to think about what is the story about, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The circumstances, the, the people can change the time and industry and all of that can change. But at the end of the day, when you ask yourself, what is my story really about? And if you can trace that back to some sort of shared human experience, then you're onto something. Yeah. It it seems to me you're looking for the me too moment where the root of what you have to or the essence of what you have to share is going to inspire a, oh, me too, out of the listener. Yeah. And and if you can find that, then you've probably found a story. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And 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 I think too that part of your question is about you know how do you hold that line of not sharing too much? Mm-hmm. Right. It is a tricky line, and you know you don't have to look too far beyond maybe just your Facebook feeds of what your friends decide is appropriate to share to see that people have very different definitions. Mm-hmm. So I think the wide spectrum of what people decide to share is that they don't necessarily keep their audience in mind. They share what they feel compelled to share rather than what is helpful mm-hmm. to those who are reading it and hearing it. Mm-hmm. My last sort of rule of thumb for that question, you know, how do I spot a good story, is that how is it going to be helpful beyond just satisfying my urge to share this story? How would my readers, my listener, my audience be better off after having listened to the story? Yeah. And the National Speakers Association has encouraged uh, all speakers that never, ever use your audience as therapy. Exactly. Please. (laughs) Please, please. Yes. So I always think that is a a very good high level 
rule of thumb is that if you haven't sort of worked things out with yourself, then don't tell it. <laughs> don't share it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I led a, a discussion with a group of people recently called, like, should I be telling you this? <laughs> and it was around this this question. And, mm-hmm. and somebody responded that um, a piece of advice she had gotten was to share your scars, not your scabs. Ah, I like that. Isn't that nice? And so what you just said reminded me of that. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's really what it's about. You know, your scabs are for your therapist, <laughs> probably. <laughs> And your scars are, you know, where you've you've healed enough that it can be exposed. Yeah, I, I so appreciate that. And I'm, I'm watching um, right now uh, a comedy special called Three Mics. Hmm. Have you heard of this? No, no. What is that? It's it's from Neil Brennan. I believe I'm remembering his last name right. And he he does this thing where he's he has it's a solo show and he has three microphones on the stage. Hmm. And one mic, he delivers, like, one-liners of, like, sort of jokes, mm-hmm. um, quick punchlines. Mm-hmm. Another mic, he does traditional stand-up comedy. But in the middle mic, he's telling emotional stories. Oh. And one review I read, somebody said, oh, I feel like I'm listening to a therapy session when he's at that microphone in the middle. Oh. Um, but I didn't feel the same way because, for me, listening to it, there was a me too a moment. <laughs> As I listened, I thought, oh, my gosh, he's putting Mm -hmm. words to something that, you know, um, I have thought a lot about, but I hadn't been able to articulate it so, so beautifully. But to me, it was captivating. But to somebody else, it was, oh, I just feel like you brought us into a group therapy. Uh, uh, So that is a really interesting example that even with that particular comedian, two audience Two, two people listen to it have different reactions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this, is, this isn't a science. This is not, you know, black and white, uh, hard, fast um, rule as to, you know, if this, then that. Right. Um, but I would say that in addition to the Me Too, if it is absolutely and objectively clear to you that it's tangible, concrete benefits to you, your audience, right? Beyond the, oh yeah, me too, I can really relate to that. And then here's how it can, um, how it has already helped me, mm-hmm. right? If you have these reasons, then to me, then telling stories in the context of business then has achieved its goal, mm-hmm. which is you want it to be genuine, authentic, and um, but you also want it to be helpful. Yeah, definitely. Well, I I want to thank you for for all of that. That's I think that, that like you said, it's kind of a million dollar question that is worth uh, continuing to reflect on and, and think about for each of us, especially in our professional lives, because um, it's not always easy to walk that line. And I have a feeling that your book is going to help us a lot with that. So congratulations on on the publication of it. It's called um, Let the Story Do the Work, The Art of Storytelling for Business Success. Oh, thank you. And I'm curious about what what is something new that you learned in the process of writing that book that has changed the way that you tell stories? That's such a good question. Some of the major ways that it has helped me telling better stories or better at telling stories was 
you know, you probably have heard that um, this advice for writers that, you know, you need to be very committed to it, stick with it, write three pages or a thousand words or 5,000 words every single day, rain or shine. <laughs>、um, so there are these sort of try and true advice、mm-hmm. that, that the writers get. And I have found that not to be exactly helpful, at least to me. And I have found that I work better in spurs.、Mm-hmm. So I have periods、uh, where I write a lot. I don't do much of anything else, I just write. And then when there are sort of dry periods where I just I don't have anything, so I don't. I do other things. And I feel like this is especially relevant、um, to your listeners、mm-hmm. because as an introvert, I look around,、mm-hmm. I he- also hear advice that a lot of times don't apply to me as introvert, such as you know, going out there and you know, making yourself known and network and, and you know, a lot of advice that I'm sure your listeners are very familiar with, but it doesn't work for you. Yeah. And so, throughout writing this book, I've learned that those I'm sure are great advice that applies to a lot of people, but it doesn't work for me. And so, I'm not going to adhere to it. And I sh- you know, should feel okay not following it.、Mm-hmm. And then, the other thing I learned that has helped me become better at telling my stories is that writing stories versus telling stories verbally. They're very different things.、Mm-hmm. Although we generally group them, lump them all into this big category of stories. Yeah. Generally, in my workshop or any sort of one on one, face to face opportunity, I can use a lot of nonverbal. And oftentimes,、um, I have a captive audience, you know, within reason. With writing, you don't have that luxury. And so that is something that my、uh, editor has helped me hone that you really have to get to the point、mm-hmm. more quickly when you're writing than when you're telling stories live. Yeah, the, the, the captive audience is a very different <laughs>、uh, situation. Yes,、yeah. yes. It's, it's very easy to put down a book when、yes. you decided that, nah,、mm-hmm. it's boring, it's irrelevant, I don't feel like reading it. Um, and then the, I think the last thing that I learned through writing the book, which is really frustrating and, and, and surprising, and, and, and I'm almost a little bit embarrassed to share this, and that is I preach throughout my career and then I try to imbue it in my book throughout that in order to be a good storyteller in a business context, you have to tell the story from your audience point of view. Similar to what we were、uh, talking about when we were reminiscing of、um, fundraising stories. You have to be really empathetic to your audience's point of view.、Mm-hmm. And so when I got the book cover design from my publisher, I had a lot of reaction to it.、Right. You know, I had a long list of likes and dislikes. I sent it out to my friends and colleagues, so close colleagues, and you know, asked them what they think and so on and so forth. But this particular response from my mentor, Don Norman, really <laughs> taught me a lesson. Because in his email, he began by it's not about what you think. It is about your potential readers, whether the cover will get their attention. 
So if you really want to test it, print it out, book size, show it to the sort of people you want to buy the book, not your friends and families, and ask, would you think of buying this book? And don't ask if they like it or not. Ask if they would buy it. Mm-hmm. So I was so embarrassed. I was <laughs> <Yes> . so grateful, <laughs> first of all. <laughs> But also embarrassed that, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I've been preaching, you know, this whole time. And including in the book is that you have to be empathetic to your audience's point of view. And yet here I was、mm-hmm. doing exactly the opposite.、Mm. Shows that we're even we're fish sim- swimming in water. I go back to that. <laughs> Right,、yes. we we don't notice what it is that we swim in, and so we can't always get outside of ourselves to listen to ourselves. <laughs> so there you have it. <laughs> oh, that's a great story. Excellent. Thank you. Well, thank you for sharing that.、Um, we learn from those experiences, and、um, and I appreciate that you、uh, were willing to. To share that particular story, even if it felt embarrassing, <laughs> there's no reason to be embarrassed. I will offer, because <laughs>、uh, I, I think we've probably all been there in terms of you know not heeding our own advice. Yeah. So. Yep. Yep. Well, Esther, thank you so much、um, for your insights and your wisdom, and I'm I'm really excited for your book and for everyone who's going to be reading it, and、um, for what I know is going to be a huge impact on the quality, I hope, of and the quantity maybe of stories that are are told in business. So thank you very much for that. You're welcome. I wish I have hours and hours to talk about this. I, but, it's,、um. <laughs> it's a topic that yes, that is.、Um, we've only touched the tip of the iceberg. I know. Now that you've published your book, and I'm often speaking with authors right around the publication time of their books, so I usually frame it as you're going to want a vacation. I'm sure <laughs> at some point soon <laughs> after its publication, and I've waved a magic wand and granted you a three-week, all-expenses-paid vacation on Introvert Island.、Wow. Um, but you can only take three books with you.、Mm-hmm. What three books would you take with you, and why? So,、uh, strange enough, I. Felt like I've already had this three-week all expense paid for、um, on Introvert Island <laughs> vacation, and that was last year when my husband took our kids、uh, by himself to his parents、uh, for three weeks. Wow! And so、uh, no expense because I was staying home <laughs> alone by myself, and I work every single day, Monday through Sunday,、um, every single. Waking hours on the book, but I felt like I was having a vacation. Nice.、Um, but if I were to have a real vacation, like the one you described on an island, the three books I would take with me. First one would be、um, Happiness by Design, Paul Dolan.、Mm-hmm. Um, the second one is called The Eighth of Heavens by Andrew Pham, and then the third one is called Craft a Doodle. By Jen Doe. Say the title of that last one. Craft a doodle, like doodling. Craft a doodle.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, like doodling. Okay, great.、Yes. I love to doodle, so I have to look that up. <laughs> yes. Exercise both. It's like both sides of your brain are going to be getting a good workout. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, so. That's so thank you. You're welcome. Thank、yep. you. Well, what's the best way for people to connect with you and learn more about you and、um, Leadership Story Lab and your book, Let the Story Do the Work? Well, we actually sent out a、uh, free resource guide、um, every month,、uh, full of 
very bite-sized tips on how to uh, improve your storytelling in business. And so you can go to my website, leadershipstorylab.com, all in one word, leadershipstorylab.com, and um, add your name to the list. I am also learning Twitter. I know that shows how ancient I am, but I'm learning. And the Twitter account, (laughs) it's um, at leaderstorylab, leaderstorylab on Twitter, and we uh, sent even smaller, teeny bite sides of um, tips and great examples of business stories. Fantastic. Great. Well, we will make sure that uh, links to both of those, as well as to your book, are included in the show notes. And and I, I do hope that people reach out and learn more about Leadership Story Lab and check out your book. And here's to all of us telling better stories. Thank you so much, Beth. It's a pleasure to uh, be on your podcast. Thanks again for joining me for this episode today. At the time I recorded this podcast, I just started that nonfiction writing boot camp that I mentioned when I was talking to Esther. That experience has since ended, and I'm happy to report that it was worth the investment of time and money. The writing prompts helped me to think differently about the pivot points in my life and dig a bit deeper on ways to express them as stories that someone else might be interested in. If you're looking for support in discovering or rediscovering your stories, check out the Leadership Story Lab. Make sure you get a copy of Esther's book, Let the Story Do the Work, or look at workshops or classes that are about storytelling. It's a pretty hot topic right now. So I'm guessing if you check out anywhere from the local community college to the library to even professional associations in your area, you're likely to find something that will fit your needs. And of course, you could start a journaling practice alongside that, which helps you to capture experiences in the moment so that you can expand on them later. If you want insights about how to do that, be sure to listen to my conversation with journaling coach Vernetta Freeney in episode 153. And again, there'll be a link to that. And you'll find links to all the resources mentioned in this podcast, as well as Esther's Introvert Island book selections, in the episode show notes at theintrovertentrepreneur.com slash podcast. If you have questions, comments, or inquiries about coaching resources available to you through The Introvert Entrepreneur, I invite you to email me directly at beth at theintrovertentrepreneur.com. And if you're not already a subscriber to this podcast, I invite you to become one. It's a great way to make sure that you always have the latest episode ready to go when I release it. A big thank you to Paul Messing, my podcast producer, and to my assistant, Naja, for the episode show notes. I truly appreciate you both. This is Beth Bilo of The Introvert Entrepreneur. And until we meet again, remember that success is an inside job. Mm-hmm.